we can go talk about your coffee routines in China. How do you, how do you feel like? I came to America, adopted the habit of drinking coffee, and never had to drink coffee back home. I wasn't it wasn't a culture there. I was surprised to see how, how how people live on coffee every morning. They just have to. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Part of what what I was looking forward to when I moved to China was like, uh. To really like understand tea culture so much, right? Yeah, like yeah. I, I had taken classes、um, when I was in, in school. I took a, a class at a, a local company that imported tea from China. They they had classes on, you know, how to brew traditional Chinese tea and what is like the different range and different kinds of Chinese teas. And he he was a really cool guy. He actually like taught me some like qigong meditations、uh, and like how to do like. A traditional meditation while drinking tea or something like that in China, right?、Mm-hmm. Uh, in in the Chinese tradition, and、um, so、uh, I was l- really looking forward to that. I was looking forward to like expanding like my tea collection and getting like a nice tea set when I moved to China.、Mm-hmm. So like when I when I got there was,、uh, in Hunan, I was face to face with the fact that like I am a daily coffee drinker,、mm-hmm. <laughs> and、um, I don't need anything fancy, but like I need like a really Nice brewed cup of black coffee, right? Like、mm. the American way, <laughs> and、uh, that's hard to find、um, as you get outside of the cities.、Um, so,、uh, like I was saying before, like my first teaching position was in this、uh, rural Hunanese mountain town,、um, and there's there's no McDonald's there.、Um, there's no KFC. None of those.、Um, None of those American restaurants had like a local shop in Chenxi, right?、Um, so there was like, we gradually found there's two options. One was、um, something that the the previous teaching fellows had left us a note, like check out the people in this milk tea shop, this bubble tea shop、um, called、uh, Black Tide.、Uh, they're really friendly there, right? And so as we built up this friendship, like I found that. This is like one of the two places in town that you could get a cup of black coffee, right? And she was really nice. She said, like, if you like help us learn English, we'll like you know whatever.、Um, you can hang out here and use the internet. And so, I the the place was very very small. It was set up kind of had like a long bar around the place where they made the milk teas.、Um, and I spent like a year there. I literally spent probably like. Seventy percent of my free time, like my non-classroom time, that first year, just sitting in the same milk tea shop and like listening to the customers' conversations as they walked in and out, and they would give me coffee, and I ostensibly helped them learn English.、Um, it was really, really nice, and it was、um, kind of like my my first good friendship in China, as it were. She taught me how to play、uh, fight the landlord, this kind of classic.、Uh, Chinese card game that everyone knows how to play. That's really really fun,、um, and yeah, I got lots of free coffee that way. The other place was this、uh, upscale steak restaurant, but it was a copy of a more famous chain in China.、Uh-huh. So, like the famous chain is called Milo Coffee,、uh-huh. um, and this one was called also Milo because I, I guess they had to fight for the trademark or something. And so I, I'd go there sometimes on the weekend and treat myself to a really nice cup of coffee, but. Yeah, like searching for coffee became really hard, much less so in the cities like in Chongqing. Like 
right where I live, they opened up a Starbucks. And in Guangzhou, there are Starbucks everywhere, just like here. And there's the competing coffee chains. You get Cozy Coffee and stuff like that from England. Yeah, yeah I, but, I love coffee too. It's it's a dessert for me, but tea is like water for me. I drink. I don't drink water. I just drink tea all the time. <laughs> yeah, it, tea's nice. Um, uh, though, like uh, going tea shopping, I find is more fun in China because you can sit and like sit at like the the tea table with the store owner and like anything you want to try, they're gonna sit and like talk to you about that tea. That's really cool. So, like, in restaurants, like, so often, um, like, in in Chongqing, probably more so than in Guangzhou, um, Chongqing, like, you go for a restaurant, they'll just have, like, the tea that's been sitting in that pot all day, and, you know, pour, out, pour yourself out some, like, weak green tea or something like that, and it's like, okay, this is kind of good. Guangzhou has a different tradition, because that's where dim sum comes from. Yeah. So, um, like, the, the word in for, you know, going out for dim sum in Cantonese is, like, hoi yum ta, right? Oh. Like, go out and drink tea. Yeah. Uh, so, like, that that you get a little bit better tea there, and uh, also such good food. Yeah. What's your favorite tea brand? Tea brand? Oh, man. Um, I, I, my favorite kind of tea is poor tea, uh, which that? is a very distinct uh, tea oh, that doesn't really oh. fit. Yeah, it doesn't fit in the way that, like, a lot of Americans will think of tea. Um, it has a very different flavor, which comes from, like, a small fungus that grows as the tea is aging. Uh, very good for uh, digestion, I think they say. Um, yeah, a tea that you can drink any time of day. It won't keep you up at night, really. Ah, it's my favorite. Like a, yeah. I also like a jupu. Uh, which is like a poor tea that's been aged in the peel of a nectarine. Oh no, not a nectarine. Uh, what do you call that? A tangerine. A tangerine peel. Um, yeah, that's really good because it can also, if you, you're starting to get kind of phlegmy or catch a cold, it will knock out your cold really quickly. Yeah, poor comes like a brick, like a round disc of a brick. It's really hard. And it's it's very different from all the other fresh tea. I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of uh, it's it's thicker than black tea too, right? Uh, like uh, I like black tea a little bit more than green tea, but like poor tea, like pours and it has this like uh, the I don't know the thickness of it can be like drinking a wine or something like that. It's actually it's an intense tea. Almost having a smoked uh, sensation to it. I can't yeah. describe it. Yeah. And okay, so sorry, I was so nervous. I didn't hear much about the part you're talking about. You were talking about the coffee, so I I was intent to ask. Um, so it was just coffee brewed in the uh, tea shop, milk tea shop. How how was it? It was it was good. Uh, I I wondered how they um. Uh, they, they they just put tons of coffee grounds in this giant uh, vat and then put lots of hot water on it. And they made a they made a mean cup of coffee. I went back like a, a year later and it's like completely renovated now. Uh, they have like a a really nice espresso machine and they're like the classiest place in the whole town now uh, in terms of milk tea shops anyway. Uh, but they can make a decent cappuccino these days. When I was there, it was uh, just kind of like American-style brewed coffee, which I was very happy to find.
uh, traveling as you travel around I, I learned to always travel with this sort of a uh, uh, travel press it's like a French press but it looks like it from the outside it looks like a coffee tumbler um, I, I always travel with a, my own travel press so that I can make black coffee as I go to like sort of outside of the cities and things like that yeah. so otherwise you might go crazy <laughs> So, so it was popular in it's popular in China or Asia to drink instant coffees. When we talk about coffee, it's the instant coffee packs from the supermarkets. That tastes really good too. Right, right. Always an option. That's cafe. Um, uh, actually, I had I had an experience once. We went up to um, Zhangjiajie, which is uh -huh. like this really beautiful uh, mountain range uh, park. That uh, they say that it was one of the one of the inspirations for the um, sort of geography of that place they go to in the movie Avatar, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. like really crazy karst geology. Um, so there, like, uh, I actually couldn't find a can of Nescafe anywhere, which was starting to drive me nuts because I was like, this, that, that was actually the inspiration for always traveling with my coffee press. Um, but yeah, Nescafe is usually uh, pretty, pretty easy to find. Um, in supermarkets and things like that. Yeah. So you mentioned that you heard a lot of interesting conversations when you were at the milk tea shop. What are some of the memorable ones? Oh, um, and at this point, like I'd been studying Chinese for like a year, year and a half, two years, right? Mm -hmm. But like, uh, my listening wasn't as great as it could be. Um, mm -hmm. But like, I definitely pick up on things like. Um, yeah, man, that foreigner over there is weird. Or, like, don't worry what you say. The foreigner can't understand anything we're saying. <laughs> Things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It would just be, like, one of those constant reminders to have fun and what whatnot and engage people in conversations. That was a while ago now, though, so... Um, yeah, uh, we do we do that here too. God, from, speaking in Chinese, oh, don't mind when you speak in public in Chinese; they don't understand us. Yeah, yeah, which is which is real fun when you're when when you're hanging around in America with other people who yeah. can speak your language that not necessarily everyone's going to understand. You can be like undercover, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, one thing I remember talking about is uh, I, I had like very serious conversations with people um, in Chenxi, that town in Hunan. Uh, there, I once had a, uh, a student ask me very, very serious um, and very like worried. They were like, I want to go to America someday, mm. but are vampires real? Because I watch a lot of TV shows, and there's a lot of vampires, and people say that the, these vampires <laughs> are real. I had another student who was worried that um, there weren't trees in America. And I, I had to promise her that, that, yeah, that we have, like, all forms of plant life in the U.S., and it's like you're just watching too many shows that are based on, like, city streets in New York or something like that. We, we do have trees, right? Uh, trees and no vampires. Yeah. When are you going back to China? Are you are you going when, back there? Yeah. Well, I, I have no plans. Um, I've just moved back to the states about five or six months ago now, and oh. so like I'm hoping to. Uh, I, I I have some things lined up and just uh, you know, get more work experience here in DC and um, get different kinds of work experience because like I ideally if I went back to China for work, it would be in sort of a different capacity. I'd love to be someone who's, um, you know 
doing like sort of like hosting like an international exchange of some kind or taking care of like a whole program for study abroad, something like that, right? Yeah. And so I think like the next time I come to China might be um, sort of on that, uh, other than visiting family members, it might be sort of, uh, if I go for work, it will hopefully be like in that capacity, that experience I'm trying to build where like, you know, maybe I'll be looking after um, a group of people who are doing a study abroad there or um, meeting with some, some of the people who do that work locally in China. Um, yeah, or uh, conversely, like going and recruiting people or like talking with people, getting them ready to come do a study abroad here in America. Is that a great career? I mean, is that a enterprising, promising career to do that? And how do you think oh, sure. that six years in China well, definitely helped that? Yeah, um, I, I think the field is growing. Um, and it's growing fairly, um, fairly quickly now. Um, the thing uh, with the Chinese market, there's, uh, I think, a lot of students. Um, in China, like, if you're in the, those public schools, it's all based on how you're doing on a test. You know, one of the sort of, like, gateway tests for the next level of school will determine, actually, which school you can go to, right? Yeah, yeah. And that happens at every age, but it starts to get really serious at the end of middle school and at the end of high school. And then, actually, again, before graduate school, right? Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of uh, students of all ages, the parents are starting to invest more and more um, sort of with the rise of that um, upper middle class and even middle class in China, and definitely with the, the kind of like sharp rise and extreme, extremely wealthy folks in China, that they'll, they're more likely to consider um, studying abroad um, and... Uh, making sure that uh, their children will have like uh, sort of like like you've had like uh, uh, from a very young age that ability to do school abroad, right? Yeah, I think actually um, that's so. I think actually that's where the the new market is because someone asked me, "What do I think now?" Chinese government doesn't include English as the required or mandate course in entrance college entrance exam examination anymore. But I think uh, the middle class or anyone who wants the kids to have a bright future, they always invest early on to study them to study English. They aiming at coming to states or Canada f for higher education. That's always there. Right, right, right. Um, and uh, from the other side of it, there's also um, the uh, Americans are something like now the most uh, the most represented expatriate community in China. There's like more there's more Americans in China than any other single country other than Chinese, right? Mm. Something like that. Statistic uh, <laughs> so I read the other day. Yeah, um, it's so it's like the the number of Americans going abroad to study in China um, is increasing, right? And I think that this is something that's going to keep increasing because um, as a lot of uh, folks who have studied Chinese find, they might feel like really, you know, on top of the world after they study Chinese for a year or they do like two years at a Chinese university or something like that and they come back and they're like, I learned so much Chinese, right? But like for people to have that working uh professional business working proficiency for um, Chinese language 
um, the scale of those programs is going to have to expand huge, like uh, by a great amount, right? There's, uh, you know, people need to be doing multiple years of very well-designed intensive study in Chinese to to come back with something that they can use for business. And I, I think the trend of the market, though, is that, uh, or the trend of these changes in language learning is that uh, lots and lots of Chinese uh, folks are going to be learning English faster than uh, Americans are able to learn Chinese. Is it um, necessary, though, for Americans yeah. to learn Chinese outside of like, academic reason? Like, besides those in Asian studies, other people in the Right, right. Um, outside of an academic reason. Well, like, uh, a lot of people want to do it for work, right? Like, a lot of people, um, like, I, I talked to my friend just the other day who's thinking about starting to learn Chinese from from absolute beginner, right? Um, and his idea was that he wanted to be able to use it in a business transaction, right? And you'll hear that frequently, right? Just like a, Americans tend to think of learning uh, different languages uh, for that reason, right? And mm. Of course, like from the U.S. government perspective, like I'm here in D.C., there's like so much that's about uh, intelligence and the ability to, um, you know, monitor communications and things like that. That's that's of course a growing need. Um, though I think, uh, for me, that like the idea that I would be able to use it uh, for business has always been like tangential to the fact that I would actually just like to learn this language as uh, the, to learn Chinese as a way to get uh, a different perspective on a not necessarily Chinese culture, um, but through through the language, knowing Chinese culture enough to get a different perspective on culture in general, right? Like when you when you learn a language, you learn a different way to organize thoughts about the world, right? And that's uh, that's something that I think uh, speaks to our need to kind of live in the modern globalized world, right? Where there's constant cultural interaction, right? If you're, yeah. if you're coming at everything, responding, like responding to a situation, like all the people where you're from, like, I don't think you're as flexible, uh, in, um, in the business world, but also in the social world. Right. If if you're not able to step outside of your own shoes, you're kind of uh, you're kind of like a frog in the well, right? You you yeah. don't have the, is that, that is that also an American singing or is it just a Chinese saying? Oh, um, I don't know. Like it, it, it's so similar to like Plato's idea of the cave yeah. <laughs> in yeah. some way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you you have that like a that perspective that's very relative to where you're coming from, right? And I, whereas those perspectives are super valuable and valid and you need to honor, like, everyone's perspective from where they come from, right? Mm -hmm. I think to be more effective in uh, the social world and the business world, like, looking forward, uh, you that, that ability to change perspectives and to see... Uh, multiple truths is competing, right? Like mm -hmm. that's that's very very important for today's world, right? Yeah, yeah. And anything that's helping you navigate your world like that, it's also going to give you that psychological benefit, right? Yeah. That when you learn to be more flexible, um, you're going to be happier. 
Yeah. So two questions.、Uh, are those what you just said? The original reason why you you had in mind to go to China for, or what was the rewards you got? Are those the rewards you got from China? And the second question, you mentioned that the information、uh, information sectors in in DC. Did you mean the political part to monitor? Oh, the, yeah, like the intelligence community. Like,、uh, uh, um, there's. Uh, there's lots of careers for、um, people who are、um, who have excellent language abilities and also a background in, especially cryptology,、uh-huh. to work for. Like I said, I'm from DC. There's like government contractors everywhere, and、um, you know we think the internet is big in America, and it really is. But the internet is a very different monster in China, right? And Yeah. Like there's, you know, 700 million users in China right now.、Yeah. Uh, 700 million cell phones anyway, right? And the, there's all the this data is constantly being created, right? And that needs to be mined. <laughs> there's lots and lots of jobs where where, where I live、uh, yeah. in that sector of, you know, going through that and picking picking out the important information for informing policy for informing.、Um, Of security,、uh, things like that. Right. I thought you were talking about、um, spies. I thought you were talking about spies, but it was sort of like.、That. Oh yeah, I am. I am. It's it's totally spying. <laughs> <laughs> but、um, That's fine. That's it, fine. it it it's a critical need, right? And yeah, yeah. You know, for people who want to go study Chinese language, the government,、um, as young as thirteen years old or fifteen years old, you can get the government to start paying you to go to China to learn the language because they know they need these speakers in the future. Oh, I didn't know that. That was something worthwhile to know. So、yeah. about the about the、Critical、rewarding、link. part, rewarding、mm-hmm. part.、Uh, I I don't know what you were doing before going to China and what you had in mind. Oh, sure,、there. sure.、Yeah. So like,、uh, I mean, when I was in college, I had、uh, traveled in India, and when when I was there, I realized that、um, as You know, eye-opening as that experience is, like it's not really the same unless you're like living somewhere and working there and speaking the language.、Um, and so that kind of gave me、uh, the inclination to really go forward and apply to become to join the U.S. Peace Corps.、Um, you mentioned Peter Hessler earlier,、um, who wrote the book Rivertown. He was he was actually a Peace Corps、um, Rivertown, sorry, a Peace Corps volunteer. Right, and so I joined Peace Corps, and when I joined Peace Corps, I found、um, I made、uh, I told them I spoke a little French, and so they said, "Cool, West Africa," <laughs>、um, even though I'm like, "Please send me to Asia, please send me to Asia," right?、Um, so I went to West Africa, and I was in the、uh, Saharan country called Mauritania. And in Mauritania, they speak a dialect of Arabic, and so、uh, for For Peace Corps language learning, which is this very intense, like boiled down、uh, way to get people speaking the oral language very, very quickly,、um, my language was a dialect of Arabic, and I had been studying Arabic for a number of months. And you know, I was talking to people、uh, who were in the Peace Corps, and something like half of all Peace Corps、uh, volunteers are、um, teachers in some form or another. Right,、mm-hmm. and so I was talking with them, and the, like so many of the people I talked to said, like, "Oh yeah, after I'm done here, I'm going to go with the Peace Corps to China."、Mm-hmm. 
I said, wait, wait, you can just go to China and teach? And so I kind of found out about those teaching opportunities then, and it rang really deeply with me. I said, I've been learning Arabic. I'm pretty sure I can learn Chinese, right? And so I'm someone who I wasn't, you know, I wasn't one of the 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 younger, whatever we call them, Generation Z that you see now where, you know, at four or five years old, they start studying Mandarin. Like, I started studying Mandarin as an adult after, like, attempting my third language, right? Mm -hmm. um, and... It was just something that said, uh, like, i would known the statistics. By that time, I was already, like, starting to teach. Like, I knew that if you want to learn a language, you have to do it for seven, eight, nine, ten years, right? And I said, if I'm going to spend, you know, a decade learning a language, I want it to be Chinese, right? And so that's, uh, for Chinese studies, that was, like, eight or nine years ago for me that I started learning. Um, and, you know, it's... Uh, it's slow going, but like it gave me exactly what I was thinking when I was in India, right? Exactly what I was thinking when I was in Mauritania and I learned about the opportunity to teach in China. Like I, I had an experience of China that I don't think people would have if they didn't speak Chinese, right? And I had, you know, the kinds of friendships and community that we talked about earlier, right? I had that experience of another country that you don't get when you're traveling around the country on more or less like a long vacation or like a sort of like um, that, that, that different kind of experience you'd get when you're visiting that country versus living there and working there and really participating with the people you know. Mm. Wow. Your life sounds so interesting. Uh, and it's been life is long. <laughs> So I think it's been a really interesting talk, and uh, maybe maybe some in some other time we can delve into specific question specific topics more. Well, you mentioned Taoism, and I, I figure that has to be a, an important topic because like uh, half of Americans get into Taoism through the Tao of Pooh, and so, Winnie the Pooh is now illegal on the Chinese internet. <laughs> Taoist the Pooh is a cartoon character hmm? or what? I don't know Taoist the Pooh. The Tao of Pooh is this, uh, it's by, a book by Benjamin Hoff. Uh, it's a very short read that's, uh, you know, good for people of any age. But it explains how um, Winnie the Pooh uh, is the embodiment of Taoist wisdom. <laughs> um. I guess. I, well, so so is so is Kung Fu Panda. I guess they they're all similar. Yeah, what's coming up? Like, what what's the personality of Winnie the Pooh that suggested it? I don't. I didn't it, watch it. They say that like uh, uh, I read the book a long time ago. They say that the Pooh way is like the Taoist concept of Wu Wei, which is uh, to the say that way. you are. Um, uh, you're, oh God, um, you're sort of like undecorated. You're, you're, you're a very natural, who, who you are is just who you are, right? And that's Winnie the Pooh's way of being in the world. And then the sequel makes the op, uh, argument that Piglet is this dutiful character who's the, uh, um, the, Chinese, the sort of like the, the American representation of the concept of the, 
Uh, so you have the Tao of Pooh and the Duh of Piglet. <laughs> so, is, is the piglet yeah, more moral? A, hmm? Is the piglet more moral? Yeah. I, I feel that I, I really like that book. Mm, explains that how how uh, the the past or or the Tao the the way is encompassing everything, encompassing all the infinite possibilities and. We're all connected. It seems like it's it's saying that. Right, and like I, we were talking about like chi earlier, like that that it's all like it's it's so interesting because like you know when you go to China that it's not going to be a bunch of you know Taoist monks out there, no. but the other side of that reality is that like you'll go out and you pass any park in the morning time, mm -hmm. and for every maybe two or three groups you see of sort of like Chinese aunties dancing and things mm -hmm. like that, you're also going to pass a group of people who are like doing the basics of um, Tai Chi. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's like, it's, it's, it's cool because all of that's kind of still alive in China, right? Yeah, and it's, it's not that that's all that China is, right? But it, it's, it's something that's a tradition that like you can access there when you look for it. Yeah, I also think it's part of the language or personalities already. All of our personalities. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm talking about like the the idioms and things like that, right? Idiom. The idioms, the idioms, like oh, Chinese. Oh, oh, I, I thought you were talking about club music. I was like, what? That too, because <laughs> it's all one energy. <laughs> Zooming out, and I was I was thinking maybe. We are pretty vague in our languages. That's mohu. Um, it's like Taoism. Mm -hmm. We're all coming from that chaotic, like mingling together in that circle. And Chinese language is pretty not accurate as well. It's not trying to naming how I feel or naming uh, what I'm trying to say to you. It's all very vague as if the meaning is covered up in the, the smoke or the vagueness of, of the language. Sometimes I feel that way. Right, right. All right, I gotta stop talking. Because <laughs> <laughs> you need that. Uh, okay, I, I agree. I support that. I don't have anything smart to add to it, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you for joining us, Sean. We're looking forward to speaking with you again. Cool. Thank you, Lindsay. It's been great to talk to you.